Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Right. Thank you so much for your giving today. We are kicking off a brand new series. We finished up our series on the final countdown. I hope you guys enjoyed those four weeks. Um, but we are jumping into a brand new series today that I want to call Dirty Money. Everybody say Dirty Money. Come on, look at somebody real suspicious like and say Dirty Money. Some of y'all don't play with me, do you? You just, I ain't playing your games, Pastor Chad. Uh, But we are going to call the series Dirty Money. Um, The definition of dirty money is money earned in illegal activity. That is kind of a street definition of dirty money. In this setting, we understand, I've taught for nearly 15 years as the lead pastor, that money is not good or evil. Money simply takes on the personality of the person who has it. How many know that if you're a good person and you have money, you do good with it? But if you're an evil person and you have money, oftentimes you do evil things with the money that you have been given. And so we have to start with the foundation that God has a lot to say about the subject of money. He has a lot to say about economics, not just as it relates to tithes and offerings and kind of the normal, what we would call church spiel about money, but God has a lot to say about all of our money, about how we steward it. And that he expects you and I to steward the money that he has entrusted to us in a way that honors God. Um, The Bible tells us Jesus taught the principle that if you can be trusted in small things, you will be entrusted with much. That if you can't handle a little, you can't be entrusted with much. Um, In the church sometimes we have the mentality of, you know, those who have a lot should give to those who don't. But it all depends on what those who don't are doing with the little that they have. Because Jesus taught the principle that if you have a little and you're doing nothing with it, take it from them and give it to the person who has a lot who is actually doing something with what they have. I just said a mouthful. And that pushes against religious mindsets. Because we think automatically if you don't have something, you should have a handout and the people who have should give it to you. But Jesus taught if you're not going to manage the little you have, even what you have should be taken away from you and it should be put in the hands of people that know what to do with what God blesses them with. It's interesting to me that oftentimes people that know how to handle money keep getting more. And people that do not know how to handle money, it seems like they never have enough. Am I preaching all right so far? Um, For our purposes in this series, dirty money is when you and I mishandle or misappropriate that which God has entrusted to us. If you're new to Bethesda Church, I I throw out this disclaimer every year because some of you have been in churches that when they talked about money, it's because they couldn't pay the light bill. And so they, they had to come with a sense of urgency and beg you for money so that they could keep the lights on and, and those kind of things. I've never preached on money uh, with that kind of urgency or because we have a need that we need you to meet today. It is none of that. Uh, it's twofold that when we talk about m- money, we, we do it because we plan to do it once a year. I probably should do it a lot more because most divorces happen over money. 
a lot of the counseling that we do here at the church revolves around people who are fighting about money, who don't have enough money. A lot of the calls that we field every single week is people who need help with money. And so it's a subject that Jesus talked about nearly half the time. Almost half the parables, he dealt with money. He dealt with treasures. He dealt with how are you stewarding that which God has blessed you with. And so I think it's important that we talk about money. And I want to call the first message in this series, I want to call this message God's system. God's system. Hit somebody and tell them God's system. All right. God has a system for our finances. Um, And I want to be real in this series. Is it okay if I be real in the series? Y'all know I'm going to be that anyway, right? Um, I want to be real in the series because most preachers cannot teach money. Um, Either they have pressure from their people and they can never talk about it, or when they do talk about it, they're really bad at it. Um, I can say that because I'm a preacher, and I've never steered away from this subject. I actually enjoy it. I enjoy talking about it because there's so much evidence, so much scripture on this subject that it's really hard to mess it up. But but a lot of preachers, when they talk about this subject, um, they fuss at the people. They fuss at them. And, And listen, I don't have to fuss at you because you're not kids. My responsibility is not to fuss at you. My responsibility is to teach you. And so I I don't want to fuss at anyone, and I I hope that it's never came across as me fussing, Uh, but I do want you to understand that ministry happens because we all honor God with our money, and if you stop the money, you can stop the ministry. Come on, somebody. Don't leave me up here by myself. Um, It's true. Um, and there's a twofold blessing. Not only will the church accomplish its mission, whatever local church, uh, doesn't matter what the local church is, if they have money, they can accomplish the mission. But it's a twofold blessing that as we accomplish the mission, how many know there are benefits to doing it God's way that is reserved for people who do it God's way, that if you're saved and you don't do it God's way, you're never going to experience that level of blessing. That there is a distinction, a distinction. There is a blessing for those who honor God with it. Um, and so let me say it like this. It takes money. Everybody say money. Does that make y'all smile when you say money? Some of you can't even say it without a grin. Money. Um, it takes money to do ministry. And if you shut down money, you can shut down ministry. Um, we do a lot here. 188 people have given their life to Christ just in 2021 because you're faithful with money. People are discipled. 81 people have been baptized in water, have gone public with their faith in 2021 because people are faithful with their money. Um, you, you stop the money, you stop the ministry. Without money, there, are, there is no children's ministry. Without money, there is no student ministry. Without money, there's no small groups. Without money, there's no missions to Israel and Peru and around the world, which we do. How many of you can't do any of that without money? It all requires money. And I'm going to say something a little bit controversial because I want to get this in your spirit right up front in this series. Satan don't care how much you come in here and shout as long as you go home broke. A lot of people are shouting all the time and still can't pay their bills. 
It's a problem. We're shouting and we're broke. And, and just to show you how Satan don't care about your worship sometimes as long as you go home broke, when Moses came to Pharaoh in the Old Testament and said, let my people go and said things like, we want to go out into the wilderness and worship our God, Pharaoh had no problem with that. He said, y'all go on out there and worship. Please go worship your God. Go, go out there, do whatever, just, just worship your God. But when they left Egypt, how many know they left Egypt with all of Egypt's stuff in their pockets? And now Pharaoh had a problem. He said, it's fine for you to go worship, but the moment our economics went to you, our money went to you, what did Pharaoh do? He chased them over the money. And, and so we have to understand Satan is not so concerned about us shouting if we leave here and we are all so broke that we can't make a difference. As long as you continue to pay the world 10% to borrow it, he don't care. The church is looked at in many instances as a joke because we lack resources. I got y'all's attention this morning. It's looked at as a joke because we lack resources. Um, and I'm not saying we here at Bethesda Church because, um, how can I say this nice? I don't know if I can say it nicely. Um, small churches on the corner don't end up on the news because they have a lot of resources. But big churches do. Because Satan don't care as long as you don't have any resources and you can't do anything, but allow millions of dollars to start flowing through a ministry and watch the target that will come on their back. I'm preaching real good right now because religious mindsets struggle with what I'm, what I'm talking about right now. Um, you get a target on your back. Satan does not want the world's money going into the, the people of God's hands. But the Bible talks about a transfer of wealth in the last days that the wealth of the wicked is being laid up for the righteous. And I want to know if there's anybody in here who's available for the wealth of the wicked to come into your hands. Some of you, you're having a hard time even clapping over it because you think, oh, what are we getting into? You can't do what God has called you to do broke. I don't care what God called you to do. If he called you to feed the poor, clothe the naked, start a missions in another country, to grow the church, to reach lost people, if God has called you to do something, it takes resources, it takes provision. you got to prosper in order to do it. And prosperity is not you having a jet unless your purpose requires you to have a jet. Some of y'all are like, I don't know why they get a jet and I don't. Well, you, you teach in the public school. You don't need a jet. You live four miles from the school. <laughs> kind of pointless. But provision and prosperity is about when God gives you the resources you need to accomplish the vision he has given to you. And, and so your treasure, watch this, in Matthew 6, 21, some of you are like, when's he going to read the Bible? I've been preaching Bible already. But here's Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You need to write that down. You need to write that verse down and this point down because your treasure and your heart are in the same place. You cannot separate your heart from your money, your money from your heart. God says they are in the same place place. If I want to know your heart, all I need to look at is your checkbook. I don't even need a conversation with you. If I look at your checkbook, if I look at your bank account, 
If I were to print out last month's um, transactions from your debit card, I would not need to ask you what you enjoy and what your life is about. How many know you can tell by where the money goes? We have a problem with it. the millennials really struggle with this concept because they, they buy what they want and then they ask others for what they need. They'll come talking on a brand new iPhone saying, I need money for groceries. What world are we living in? You need help with groceries, but you got a $1,500 phone up to your ear. Sell the phone and go to Kroger. Like, you ain't that important. You need food. To survive, you will live <laughs> without that cell phone. I, we're messed up. We're upside down. And, and so, are y'all getting anything already? All right. I'm excited. Y'all, I get passionate about this. Um, I know there are inconveniences um, to being a part of a bigger church. I get that. There, I mean, there's pros and cons to being part of a small church, and there are pros and cons to being a part of a bigger church. And I know what they are, because I grew up in a church of 30 people. I, I've been in small church. I know what the good things are in that. I know what the pitfalls are. I know what the good things in a big church is and what the inconveniences are. I mean, to come to a bigger church, you may have to park a little further away and walk in here uh, a great distance from uh, cold weather. You may have to wait in line to check your kids in because in a big church, we want to make sure that your kids are safe and that there's safety people in place to keep your children. I know there's a lot of little steps and inconveniences, but how many know that I think that the, the inconveniences do not compare to the blessing that comes. And, and the point that I'm getting to is that one of the pros to being a part of a big church is that if every single person simply does their part, we can have big impact. Give God praise for that. Every person just doing their part produces big impact. And so uh, it's a powerful thing. I'm going to read Isaiah chapter 9 in a minute, but it's going to take me a minute to get there. It's usually a, a passage that we read at Christmas time, but I'm going to come at money in a different way today. This is fresh. I've never preached what I'm preaching to you today. I've never taught this. And so um, hit somebody and say, wake up. All right, some of you are like, I've already heard everything he's got to say about money. You haven't. I got new stuff coming your way today. Um, let me say that one of the biggest struggles in pastoring in what we all know as the Bible belt, okay, we're in the Bible belt, is that oftentimes we have to break up religious mindsets before we can plant new seed. Um, I've spent a lot of my 15 years um, not just giving new seed, but, but giving, uh, giving you guys um, or taking the opportunity to root up what needs to be rooted up. Does that make sense? That you got to move some things and some bad thinking and some bad religious mindsets oftentimes before you can plant the new stuff. Now, another disclaimer. We talk about this once a year, usually this time of year. Um, the second disclaimer that I want to throw out is I do want to apologize for every preacher who has ever misrepresented God and treated this as a job and not a calling. I apologize for them. 
Jesus said that he was numbered with the transgressors. In other words, he didn't distance himself from those who done wrong. He identified himself with them. I'm a preacher. I'm going to identify myself and say that I apologize for people who use this to gain from people and had no no uh, real heart or passion or calling, but was using it as a way to monopolize or to gain resources themselves. I apologize for that. But with that being said, we cannot throw out the baby with the bathwater. Doctors malpractice all the time. All the time. And you still go to the doctor. People get food poisoning from restaurants all the time, and you still go out to eat. So just because this subject has been abused, or maybe you've been a part of it being abused, we cannot throw out the baby with the bathwater. And let me say this, because I, I'm around a lot of preachers. For every one preacher who has ulterior motives or negative motives, I, can, I promise you there are 500 out there who have a pure heart, a sincere heart, that is serving God to the best of their ability and trying their best to honor God. So for every one, there's about 500 doing it the right way. Um, how can God trust us? With true riches. It's one of the questions Jesus asked. How can he trust us with true riches if he cannot trust us with money? How can he trust you with spiritual things if he cannot trust you with money? God will oftentimes test you with money before he will bless you. Before he gives you power and influence, oftentimes you'll have to go through the test of money. There's a thousand battles that I won't fight as a pastor. A thousand of them I won't fight. I just won't fight it. But when it comes to true riches like influence, like I, I don't take it lightly that you give me your ear for 45 minutes every week. I don't take this lightly. It scares me. I prepare, over-prepare, prepare all the time because I don't take the influence that I feel God has given me and you have given me and entrusted to me for the last 15 years. I don't take that lightly. And so um, if you try to mess with my influence with the people God has called me to pastor, you may have a fight on your hands and I may bust your nose and ask for forgiveness later because it's taken 15 years to develop that kind of influence. So if you attack that, it's going to be a big problem, all right? It's going to be a big problem. Um, God speaks a lot about money because God loves your heart, and your money and your heart are in the same place. It's, they're, they're there together, and, and God sees not just what's on the outside. We know that God sees what's on the inside. Your heart and your treasure are in the same place. God knows that in order to test your heart, that oftentimes he has to test your pocketbook. And I've learned over the years that sometimes when God tells me to give, if he says, Chad, give to this cause or give to that ministry or write this amount for a check. Now, the tithe is not something he has to talk to me about because the tithe is already his. I'm talking about in addition to the tithe, God will oftentimes speak to me and tell me to give. And I've learned over the years that a lot of times it's not about that my gift is going to make that big a difference. It does make a difference, and God uses it. But oftentimes, God is simply doing it not just to help somebody or to help a ministry or to help a family, but God is doing it to test my own heart. 
It's not so much about the result of what I give as the heart in, in how I give it. Does that make sense? That I have to give it and, and honor God with it. And, and so a lot of times when God says support this or bless the ministry or write that check, it's not about what your check's going to do. It, God is trying to find, find out, or not, he already knows. He's trying to help you discover, are you prideful? Are you selfish? Are you greedy? Do you love money? Because the love of money is the root of all evil. It's not money itself. It's the love of it that is the root of all evil. I heard this story about, can I tell y'all a story? Uh, a preacher um, that, that I follow, he was telling this story, and he um, went to this church. It was a big church to preach one night. And he has his message all prepared, and there's 2,200 people there that night. So it's a big, big church, 2,200 people in the building. He's got a message from God. He's all excited. Um, and they had this system at the church where it's, it's a very, for such a large church, it's a very small church system because we did this in the little church I was a part of growing up. But they had this system where they would receive the offering and they would literally go count it and come back and report it to the congregation before the preacher would preach. And, and so they took the offering, they, the people, I don't know how many, maybe that size church, it had to be several people counting the money for them to get back that quick that before he could take the pulpit, they announced the offering. So they had 2,200 people, they took the offering, came back, and they said, hey, we took up tonight $3,300. And now we have pastor, and everybody stands up and they're giving him honor, and the Holy Spirit said, obey me. He said, oh, God, not today. I've, I've never preached here. I can't, please don't make me do anything. He, he, I've got my sermon, like, please, God, I, I, just let me preach the sermon. He said, obey me. So they're all up cheering, like giving him honor. He's taking the pulpit. He, you know, they're just, woo, we're so glad to have you. And he takes the pulpit. And the Holy, he says nothing. And the Holy Spirit says, I want you to walk to the side of the room. So if, if, if it was our room, he would have walked to that wall. Because it was different than our building. We go out some doors, and then we have some other doors to go into the parking lot. But this building, you could see the parking lot from inside this building. And so he walks over to the glass wall, and the Holy Spirit said, start naming cars. And he looks out and says, I see a Lexus. I see a Mercedes. I see two Cadillacs. I see some brand new trucks. And he, he names all these cars, and they were nice. 2,200 people gave $3,300. He named all these cars, and he got up and he said, you guys all gave on average a little over a dollar. How many know, you think this whole preaching gig and traveling is easy? But when the Holy Spirit tells you to do something and makes you that uncomfortable, he said it, the whole place, like conviction, hit the whole church. And those 2,200 people started coming to the altar, repenting and throwing offerings all over the platform. And, and they took up the biggest offering that night in the history of the ministry, and it had been there 98 years. All because of one step of obedience. I tell you that story because you have to understand 
that it's impossible for you and I to say, I love God and he not have my money. Your heart and your treasure are in the same place. A lot of people, I love the Lord, but I don't believe in that tithing and giving money. If God doesn't have your pocketbook, he does not have your heart. I am preaching all right, right now. So let, let me build this. I'm going somewhere new today. Oh, God help me on time. Jesus was not a religious man. He was a political man. That statement right there offends religious people. Because they think Jesus came and he died to institute a religion. Jesus did not die on a cross to institute a religion. He died on the cross because he was bringing a kingdom. He is a king. This is not some side religion. He is, he, he is a king who was obsessed with bringing a kingdom. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all document his message, and his message was not religious. His message was political. He, he consistently said, I am bringing the kingdom into the earth because earth was never intended to operate outside of heaven. You got to get that. It was never intended for the earth to operate outside of heaven. God's system. Somebody say God's system. The earth was intended to operate just like heaven. Adam messed that up. How many of Adam had the authority? He was operating in the earth. He was to make the earth look like heaven. But through sin, he messed that up. And the Bible says that Satan became the prince of the power of the world. And, and so there is a difference between owning the world and having authority in the world. God owns the world. The, the Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything in the earth belongs to God. All the gold, all the silver, all the oil, all the coal, all the resources. Can I get a witness? They all belong to God, right? He owns it all. But Satan had authority. God was owner, but he gave the lease to Adam. Adam forfeited the lease in the earth over to Satan, and he became the prince of the power of the air. We could say the prince of the power of the world. Jesus came to make right what Adam had messed up and to take the authority back from Satan and to reinitiate the authority back into the hands of man. And so we are in the world, but you and I are not of this world. Let's go a little bit deeper because you and I, if you are born again today, you are citizens of another country. Right now, if you have been born again, you are, you are a citizen of God's kingdom of another country. How, how do you become a citizen of a country? Most of the time, you've got to be born into that country. So when Nicodemus came to Jesus and said, I want to be a part of this kingdom, what did Jesus say? Nicodemus, you have to be born again. We are born into another country. We are citizens of another country. And so when we accept Jesus, we now have citizenship 
in heaven, the kingdom of God, which means that you and I are not captive to what happens in the earth. Jesus has given us keys to this kingdom so that you and I can make earth operate more like heaven. He does not want the earth operating the same way hell does. And if your life is a living hell, you need to take the keys to the kingdom that Jesus has given you and you need to close the door on the hell in your life and you need to open up the door of heaven into your life. I need some help in this church this morning. He's given you the keys. But you got to use the keys. There are keys, there are principles that open up certain things into your life. He was not a religious man. Jesus was not. He was and is a king. Let me show you Isaiah chapter 9. We, we usually read this at Christmas. But let's look at it today. It says, for unto us... A child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So it says the government is going to rest on his shoulders. That of the increase of this government, there shall be no end. That once it starts, it will never be shaken and it will never be stopped. We're here 2,000 years later because of the increase of his government. It shall always increase. It's not going to be stopped. It's not going to decrease. Jesus is high and lifted up. He is seated on a throne. He is not religious. He is a king, but he's also a king of kings. I'm going to help somebody today. I'm excited about this. The government of this new country will rest on his shoulders. And it says in that last verse, last part, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The, the word zeal is the word passion. The passion of the people of that kingdom will actually perform this. The zeal of them. We think religion. We think democracy. But God thinks kingdom. God thinks king. So let's look at something that, this is the new part. In Luke 23, I want you to see this. Verses 1 through 3. And this is when Jesus is being brought to trial before his death. It says, the whole multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate. And they, be, they began to accuse him, saying, we found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes. You may want to underline that right there. To pay taxes to Caesar saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Then Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, It is as you say. You and I are a part of a kingdom. Jesus is a king. Notice that he did not dance around the question. When Pilate said, Are you a king? Jesus said, yeah, I'm a king. And if Jesus is just a religious leader, why is there a government on his shoulders? Why is he sitting on a throne? Why is he called 
King of kings and Lord of lords? Why was he obsessed with the message of the kingdom? If he was a religious leader, when it was time for him to die, then why did they take him to Pilate? They didn't take him to church. They didn't take him to a religious leader. They didn't take him to a bishop or some elders or a deacon board. They took him to a Roman governor and they accused him politically. They accused him over taxation. When you say in the name of Jesus or you pray in the name of Jesus, you are praying in a name that is given above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. You are praying in a name that is above every other name. When I say in the name of Jesus, all of heaven, all of his government begins to back up what I'm saying. Because this is not religion, this is a kingdom. Why, why does that happen? Because when we pray in the name of Jesus, I'm not invoking a religion, but I'm invoking a government. Y'all are not ready for this. I, I am invoking, we're so religious, in the name of Jesus, and we're nice and cute and clean, and we dress up nice. Well, every once in a while we do. Um, and we say these religious things, not understanding that when I pray in the when I lay hands to cast out a devil, I'm not in the power of Chad Dingus. I am in the power of the kingdom of God and whatever kingdom is operating in this person's life, the kingdom of hell has to go because no kingdom can compare to the kingdom of God and whatever is going on in their life has to go because I am invoking the kingdom his rule, his reign, into that situation. So I, I'm praying, and we got to get out of this religious mindset. We got, we, they took Jesus to Pilate. This is important. Caesar was the governor of Rome. This is not a religious issue, y'all. If, if they're taking him to Pilate, it's a political issue. And the political issue is, number one, he's saying he's a king. That's problematic for them. And, and Rome did it different than every other empire. Because most empires, what they would do is they would go in and conquer you, and then they would bring you to their land. All right? They would, they would defeat you and bring you to their land. Rome did not do that. Rome would defeat you, and then send their influence into your land. They were constantly extending their influence, and they were putting governors in new territories to bring the influence of Rome into that city, into that territory. And that's why the Bible says in Galatians 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. It's no coincidence that Jesus was born during the Roman go government, during the Roman Empire, because Rome was the only government up until that point that mirrored what Jesus was about to do, because Jesus has made you 
rulers and governors in this world and he sent you there to the mill in Covington on second shift as a governor, as a mustard seed and he says go and expand, go and increase, go and take my influence into that place. He sent you into that school as a mustard seed and he says grow as a net, cast the net. God takes the influence he has given us and then puts us on a construction job or in a school system or in a hospital or in a church and he says I want you to influence people and to bring my kingdom into their realm that's how Rome did it and it was the only kingdom that had done it that way and Jesus was born the fullness of time means the perfect time it's not an accident he was born during the Roman Empire He takes the influence inside of you and he brings it into that place to influence those people. This is why conduct matters. We get hung up on conduct and behavior because we're always worried about heaven and hell. But conduct and behavior could be because sometimes you act like such a fool, you break your influence there. God gave you the influence, but you lose your cool and say a bunch of things you shouldn't to people, and now the influence you had, you lost. It's not always heaven and hell. Sometimes it's influence. Sometimes it's the ability to share the gospel with them. They brought Jesus to Pilate over a matter of taxation, which was a lie. I can take you to the place where they tried to trap Jesus. They tried to trap him over this matter. And, and, and Jesus said, very clearly, you've read it, he said, render unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar. So what was Jesus saying? He was saying, pay your taxes. But now that you're a citizen of the kingdom, render unto God what belongs to God. So they were lying on him and trying to trap him. He said, hey, I, I didn't say nothing about people not paying taxes, I told them, pay their taxes, but as a citizen of the kingdom of God, you need to give to God what belongs to him. Why? Because you are now a citizen of another country. Oh, hit somebody and say, he's going somewhere. Y'all got about 10 minutes, and I'm I'm telling you, this is going to be mind-blowing. Are y'all ready? Y'all ain't ready. They, they brought him to Pilate, and they said, Pilate, we need you to do something with him because he's saying he's a king. This is problematic because a king has the power to tax. Y'all, y'all see where this is going, right? A king has the power to tax. He's calling himself a king. If he's the king of the Jews, he could require taxes. We got to watch him because he's now a threat to what we have going on. He could potentially get people to stop paying taxes to Caesar, though Jesus never said that. He said, pay to Caesar what what goes to Caesar. But you need to render unto God what belongs to God. And they're saying you can't let that happen. They brought him to, they brought Jesus, a political leader, to a political leader, because they wanted to ask him about where money should go. And Pilate says, Are you a king? And Jesus says, I am. He didn't dance around the issue. He said, I'm a king. 
I have a kingdom. I'm bringing this kingdom into the earth. And, and here's the thing. Every kingdom has a form of taxation. Taxation, though, does not earn you anything. Taxation, uh, we, we pay taxes, and it doesn't earn us anything, but it's for upkeep. Can I, can I be real right now? I hate what I pay in taxes. I don't enjoy it any more than you do. But I am really thankful that I can drop my kids off to school. I don't like money coming out of my check, but I really do like the fact that my kids have quality teachers. I don't, I don't always like paying taxes, but I like the fact that when I call 911, somebody shows up. Because if there's some idiot in my driveway acting a fool, if they don't show up, I'm going to go have to go out there and act a fool. Come on, y'all. I, I got to get you to see this. I, I don't like when the taxes come out of my check, but I am thankful that I don't have to drive through potholes that knock my truck out of alignment. Taxes are for upkeep. In the kingdom of God, as a citizen, the tithe is not religious activity and it's not something that we bring in hopes of getting some kind of return. Keep walking with me. Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. So God says, I want you to bring all the tithe into the treasury of your local church. Bring it into the local church so that my house shall be full. Tithe means tenth, right? Tenth. One-tenth of my income, I bring it to God because it belongs to him. We miss this, but God says, I want you to bring it into the storehouse so that my house shall be full. I love that line because God is saying, I want my kingdom to run well. I do not want you to operate in scarcity. I do not want it to be sparse, but I want my kingdom, I want that, that local church, that storehouse to be full and to function well. Here's the point. The tithe allows me, it allows you to participate in the blessings of being a citizen of another country. There are blessings reserved for those who bring the tithe that do not happen for those who steal the tithe. Y'all not clapping over this. Let me hit it, let, let me hit it while, while I'm here, and I hope I don't get any emails. Um, if I do, it's cool. I'm used to it. Illegal alien is a phrase we hear all the time. It is a problem, but hear me out. It has nothing to do with race, nothing to do with ethnicity, and nothing to do with color. Don't let anyone turn that into a race thing. 
The reason it is a problem is because it's impossible to continually drain from a country that you refuse to bless. I'm, I'm not talking about physically impaired. I'm not talking about they're not mentally capable. But when you are physically and mentally capable and you stand there with a hand out, but you're never going to pay taxes, you're never going to bless, you're only going to drain, that is the beginning of that country's collapse. <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm going to get in all kinds of trouble. Let's apply it to church. When the church is full of people who drain the church and refuse to bless it, it's a problem. I ought to have some more claps than that. In the natural, my taxes give me the privilege of participating in the blessing of that country. We pay taxes in a country with the hopes that we can participate in the local schools, with the bus coming around our neighborhood. In the winter, the snow plows will be out and roads will be cleared and the trash will be picked up. It, the, the taxes help the country run well. Well, God has a better system than even the U.S. government that charges 28 to 40% of taxes. He says that if you bring the tithe, 10%, it's as if you brought the whole thing. And he said, if you'll do it, I'll start rebuking the devourer on your behalf. Come on, somebody. Your barns will be full. I'll pour out a blessing that you don't have room enough to receive. If you're watching online, you ought to stand up and give your God a shout right now because God wants to open up the windows of heaven over you and your family, but you got to bring to God what belongs to him. I'm locked and loaded today. Now, let me wrap this up. Let me wrap this up. God knew in advance that if everyone participated in the tithe, we would never have to talk about money. Because if everybody participated in it, and everybody really tithed of all their increase, bonus increase, payday increase, birthday money increase, I will say it. I will say it. If everybody participated in it, we wouldn't ever ask the bank for anything. I'm not against the bank. I'm just saying we would just pay cash. Some of us, we, we struggle with that mindset because we're taught you always just got to carry around a ton of debt. The Bible says that in the kingdom that God can bring you to a place where we're no longer the, the, the one who's receiving the loans. We're the ones giving out the loans. I, I hear increase coming to this house. And I sense that the Holy Spirit, because when we start thinking right about money and we start handling money the way God wants us to, God will not only entrust us with it as a church, but I believe the same blessing that comes on this house will come on your house. It's biblical. I got old Belzebub here. <laughs> He's everywhere. Listen. I, I'm not saying anything about this fly. But the devil, I am going to say this. The devil hates the message I just preached. He hates it. Because for some of you, the first time ever, the tithe makes sense. 
God says that when we fail to bring the tithe and the offering, he says that you are now under a curse. I want you to hear my heart. God does not curse you. He's not cursing people. He says, but your failure to do it, you're cursing yourself. So when you show up at the school to drop your kids off in the natural and the school is boarded up and there's chains on the door, you ought to just go ahead and say, if you didn't participate in the taxes, you should say, um, those are my chains. That if you don't participate in the taxes in the natural, when you drive through the pothole and it knocks your car out of alignment, you should just say, hey, that's my pothole. This is the first time some of you this has even made sense. That you are under a curse, not one God puts on you, it's one that you put on yourself. When the church has to say no to some things, but you've not participated in blessing the church, don't get mad at the preacher. Say it's my fault. I'm the reason we can't do more. This just hit home. This just hit home. Jesus brought a kingdom. And when you participate in God's system, he said, I will rebuke the devourer on your behalf. I, I may get into this in the series. Devourer there, we think that's the devil. It ain't even the devil. It's whatever's eating up your seed. It's whatever's robbing you of having resources. He said, I will rebuke what's eating up your seed. Um, and in the, in, in the kingdom, when you're a citizen of a country, how many of the citizens don't go into battle? The military fights the battle. Do you know how many demons have been assigned to take you out even this week? But because you're a tither, God has dispatched angels on your behalf you know how many times the enemy has wanted to take you out but couldn't touch you because God has given his angels charge over you? It's a privilege to bring the tithe to pay taxes in a new country. The devil doesn't want us to get what I've just taught you. Not only will God rebuke the devourer, but he said, I will open up the windows of heaven over you. That, that literally means unlimited resources. Heaven doesn't have lack. They don't have a national debt in heaven. They have no, no lack. They, he owns it all. The kingdom of God, though, I'm going to give you this last thing. If you would, go ahead and stand with me for this last, last part. The kingdom of God, Jesus said, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. Everybody say keys. It's plural. Our problem in church is that we want one master key that unlocks everything. You say, if I get Jesus and I'm born again, I get it all. Well, no. You're ready for heaven, but there are keys to the kingdom. There's not a master key that unlocks everything. There are keys that you have to use. Hit your neighbor and say, you have to use. Jesus said, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. And he said, whatever you unlock on earth will be unlocked in heaven. And whatever you lock on earth will be locked in heaven. Here are the keys, plural. If you need peace, God has a key. 
I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind stays on me. That's a key. If you have anxiety, God has a key. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. There's a key for it. Financial blessing. You're crying in an altar over a key you refuse to use. Financial blessing. Bring the tithe and the offerings into the storehouse. I will open up the windows of heaven. See, I can come and cry over having a financial need, but if I refuse to use the key, I'm going I'm to be crying over this need until Jesus returns because it's a key that unlocks the blessing. Did you get anything from the Word of God today? I'm going to stop right there. I'm excited about what God has given me for this series. I want to challenge you. If you're a tither, praise God for you. Can we give it up for all the tithers that, that bless God's kingdom, that believe what I just, that like, operate in that? But, but if you've never stepped out and started giving God the first 10% of your income, the tithe, I want to challenge you to do that. And we're so serious about it that if you, I've done this for years. Try it for 90 days. If it don't work for you, we'll give you your money back. Like, <laughs> I, it's not because we got a bill to pay this week. It's so that you can operate in the blessing that God intends for you to operate in. If he can't trust you with money, what can he really trust you with? Amen. Let me pray for you today. Father, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for teaching us today, God, the importance of financial stewardship, God. And, and God, I just really sense you saying this is a season of increase for this house, a season of increase for people, God, that maybe they've struggled in the past financially, but God, help them to see beyond where they are, to trust you with the resources you have given them. And God, we pray, as your word says, that you would open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessing over your people that they do not have room enough to receive. Let them live off the overflow. Let them be generous in all things, God. Let them be people that are not afraid to give and to sow and to bless others because they know that you are our source. God, I ask it today in the name of Jesus. As heads are bowed, eyes are closed, no one looking around. I always give an altar call, and I know it doesn't make sense to preach on money and give an altar call for salvation, but I have seen people get saved many times after a sermon on money. Jesus gave his life so that you could be in relationship with him, so that you could be prepared for heaven. If you're in this place or watching online and you're not right with God and you know you're not, and you say, Pastor, I don't want to leave in that condition, but I want to make things right with God. If that is you, would you just throw your hand up right there where you are and say, that's me. I want to make things right with God. Anyone at all. You say, that's me. If you're watching online, one hand over here. God bless you. God bless you. Another hand here. God bless you. I love how God will confirm his word. I want to pray with those hands that just went up. I want everybody to pray together. Say, dear Heavenly Father, I come to you. In the name of Jesus, I'm a sinner. I've committed sins. I need a Savior. So I ask you today to forgive me, to come into my heart, to be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for saving me and changing me. In Jesus' name, amen. Give them a big God bless you. Prayer team, come forward. Staff, come forward. We're going to open up the altars. If you need prayer today, 
Don't leave without it. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.